Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and inner standing. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Hello, hello, hello. We made it, Jen. We made it to 2021. We did. And we're here in one piece. Yeah. And to the end of the Mayan calendar. To the end of my calendar. And we're here. But you know, we're here just in a different way. Maybe our spirits are running the show more now this year than ever before. I would say that. Yeah, as I we enter as we enter into the age of Aquarius. That's right. Which, Smart people. Exactly. Your people. Jen <laughs> Jen's an Aquarius. And she's one of the most intelligent, innovative women that I know. I'd vote for her. Absolutely. But, you know, <laughs> it, the Aquarian, what would you say an Aquarius embodies as far as like a personality trait? Um, I would say um, that we're a little aloof, a little emotionally detached, mm-hmm. um, um, but we're not jealous people. We're easy to get along with, um, mostly pretty creative and kind of like a little, um, can be a little spacey in, in our own head sometimes. Yeah. Just kind of like do to do, be bopping around. Where does the humanitarian piece come in? Um, yeah, I mean, I, every Aquarius that I know and myself included, um, have a love for other people mm-hmm. and for animals and a good sense of, um, humility yeah. and are overall pretty kind and considerate people. Yeah. Um, even though we may not outwardly show emotion and we're not like super warm and fuzzy, mm-hmm. um, we would never do anything to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. So do you think that speaks to of. like a certain amount of, uh, your empathy? your empathy like you're empathetic yeah i yeah i would say that yeah Mm -hmm. this is just like a different way of processing your feelings because a lot of people that i talk to especially when it comes to uh aquarius is that whole separating your emotions from certain situations which Mm -hmm. from the surface would come across as if they don't have feelings right yeah right but it's not so much like that that. many times (laughs) right yeah yeah yeah. you're really honest the the one thing i appreciate about jen is she's an extremely honest person and some would say that you'd have to have a very strong sense of self and character in order to accept that level of strength. But mm-hmm. the one thing that I appreciate about Jen is, is there's a sincerity and an honesty to her cadence. And I accept that fully, whether or not it's good or it's bad, at least the fact that somebody's being honest with you, yeah. fully embodying their feelings. Because to me, it isn't just about somebody just um, always just painting a nice picture about how life works. It's about somebody offering you the truth. Right, yeah. I, yeah. I do that to a fault. I'm actually, that is one of my New Year's resolutions to be better about my delivery because my delivery is sometimes a little too direct. Yeah. So I think maybe I need to dial it back and take a page out of your book and be a little bit more. <laughs> oh, my, my, my Libra sun. Yeah. And my, my planet is Venus, so I'm the lover. And I think one of my New Year's resolutions is to romanticize like I normally do, but not overly romanticize things. Yeah. You know, accept situations for what they are. Life is always going to be beautiful to me. Yeah. But in the realm that the overtly romanticized piece of me comes out is in situations that shouldn't be romanticized. Perhaps maybe when somebody's not being nice to me. Yeah. I have to really accept the fact that there are people out there that are going to hurt your feelings. Sometimes even deliberately. Yeah. But the reason why I bring up the Aquarius thing, one, because we're in that age, but two, that Aquarian part of you speaks to a direct sort of truth, right? that honesty that you guys embody. And I think that this year in 2021 is going to embody that. 
There's yeah. going to be a whole lot less of, you know, uh, distruths and disingen- uh, disingenuous sort of uh, narratives kind of being passed around. I think people are at this place now where they, they want the truth. Yeah, I think you know? so too. Yeah, but they want the truth. And of course, you know, innovation, technology, creativity, it's a very, very different space for where we were initially coming from. And I noticed on, you know, January, I mean, on December 21st, because we had that episode um, with the gem goddess one day before the the winter yeah. solstice. Yeah. That day I woke up, I had my own little rituals, um, just did some meditations, sat with some crystals. And I really wanted to take that day to just kind of go within and feel the vibration of the space mm-hmm. on that day. And I feel like I really did. Yeah. You know, set some intentions. And for the most part, everything has been really smooth, really beautiful. Has it been that way for you? It's been that way for me too, yeah. I've noticed a lot more, um, and this has been kind of like amping up over the last couple of weeks, actually, since the 21st, mm. um, I can recall. A, a lot more synchronous, synchronicities kind of happening in life, not just with numbers, but um, a lot of things. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, Jeremy and I, I got a new Oracle card deck. Oh, yeah? And yeah. Oh, it's really pretty too. I'll show it to you after what the show. It? It's really you know, beautiful. Do you remember what it's called? Um, it's a starseed deck, um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's gorgeous. I don't. I think I know which one you're talking about. A lot yeah. of pastel colors. Yeah, a lot of pastel yeah, colors. Yeah. yeah. So I got um, I got both of this woman's decks. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a starseed deck, and then the other one is like uh, in the light deck. I think it's what it's called. I don't remember exactly. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, so I gave it to Jeremy, and I was like, oh, you know, pull a card for yourself for you know, 2021 and kind of see what it says. So he pulled the first card and he read it and he was like, that doesn't feel like me. So he put it back in the deck and reshuffled and then he pulled it again. Oh, the same one? (laughs) The same one. Yeah. So, and I was like, well, maybe you should, you know, heed that message because that's what you needed to read. So um, I did the same thing, um, but the card that I pulled really resonated with me. It was the portal card and it said that, you know, uh, I'm in full activation right now for creative Mm -hmm. projects and, um, and all I need to do is walk through the portal because, you know, I have the assistance of the divine. Yeah. So I was like, ooh, that's really cool. And I was like really into the card. So the next day, um, I just pulled a card for the day and I pulled the portal card. Oh, you so pulled the portal days, card. Yeah, two days in a row. So it's a lot of synchronicity. A lot of that stuff, yeah. yeah a lot of that's been happening. You sent me like some texts of like some reoccurring numbers that you see, 111. Yeah, um, yeah. People, we didn't even realize this until I think recently that UFO video that we posted a while back mm-hmm. was the duration of it was 111. 111, yeah. Pretty crazy. I was yeah. like, whoa, oh my gosh. Yeah, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that. A lot of the unseen realms sort of influencing us in some ways. And I think the humanitarian aspect of the you know, the Aquarius is going to kind of move to the forefront too in that, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it, we're going to, you know, place ourselves in this position to be a little bit more compassionate of other people. Mm-hmm. Once the sort of uh, pandemic subsides and people start taking the vaccine, and my hope is that people will have learned from this experience, that entire year of 2020, being within doors, basically being the hermit card in the tarot yeah. and doing that inner reflection so that when we come back into the world, we'll be a little bit more, more bit more mature yeah a little bit more mature and and just appreciating others company you know um and not just your family but your friends and Mm -hmm. you know all the luxuries that we had in life that we definitely took for granted you know i really appreciated the slowdown Mm -hmm. and the reflection time and the time in my house to really you know work on projects and and really dive into work Mm -hmm. you know my nine to five work yeah and 
Yeah, it's been good. Yeah, it's nice to be able to take that. So this is going to be the first episode of uh, 2021 that we've recorded. Yeah. And we're going to keep the the ship going to find nobody's. We, you know, try and really, really push it forward as far as the spiritual teachings. We go into really deep subjects. And today's subject actually is uh, one that I've really been interested in, mainly because it speaks to a large part of my youth. Yeah. And how I grew up. But I think it also speaks to yours too, Jen, which oh, is sure. uh, epigenetics and generational trauma. Oh, yeah. You know, it's yes. hard to know where to start with something like that. But the one thing that I think is the most relatable about it is that most people go through it at some point because it's so closely related to just trauma in general. Mm-hmm. I mean, it actually is trauma. Yeah. But if you're in a family, you have a family dynamic and you have parents, whether or not they're together or separated, every family has their history of trauma and negativity. Oh, for sure. If it's not your parents, it's your parents' parents. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of goes down the lineage, the family tree. Yep. And uh, we experience that in some ways. And for the most part, I think, this is a crazy thing that I think about too, is that there's this sort of idea or this narrative that I tried to embody growing up, which is like, there is this perception of the the, the perfect family. Yeah. Like there's somebody out there that has, you know, uh, had been raised a certain way. They never got to experience anything remotely bad. And as I grew, get older, I really quickly realized that everybody has had a difficult childhood in some way. Yeah. Has had you know? some event in their life that was transformative. Right. You know? It's pretty rare that you meet someone that was like, nope, my childhood was perfect. Yeah. Everything was great. Yeah. I've never met them. Yeah, you know? I've met a couple people that have said that. You know, I don't know how true that I, that is, but yeah. um, who have said like, no, all in all, I had a really great childhood. But it seems like those people that maybe have had those great childhoods, because I've met people that seemingly have, but what ends up happening is because it was so good, maybe it was it was so far removed from any any type of violence, yeah, or any sort of uh, anarchy or chaos in any way, that there's still this sort of like dormant curiosity inside of them to make some chaos happen. Oh yeah. Right. So that's why you have those people that, you know, spend all their youth in, you know, Catholic school mm-hmm. and they were sheltered for most of their life. And then once they turn 18, they go out and they just cause a bunch of crazy chaos. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do. So I feel like even if it's not something that you immediately experience, um, I think it's like the spirits and the, it's a human, very much a human experience to, want to venture on the other side of the tracks. Right. Which yeah. is like going and causing some trouble. Yeah. Because I feel like those are the, the the best ways to learn fundamentally what the balance in life represents. Yeah. And I definitely yeah. did that. Oh, yeah. You know? I so did too. The way that I grew up, you know, my parents divorced when I was really, really young. And my father was a drug addict. And I had like a really interesting contrast because for the most part, my mother grew up, you know, in a pretty stable household. Mm-hmm. But my father was the one that was sort of like this struggling artist. He has a really, really big heart. He knew how to love, but he mm-hmm. just couldn't figure out the 3D shit, yeah. which are his responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, You know what I mean? And so that created a lot of contrast and maybe that in, in a lot of ways helped cultivate the deepest aspect of my, you know, uh, Libra inside of me because I have that sort of like that balance of, you know, moving in a more cohesive way, but also a little bit of chaos in me as well. Yeah. And that definitely affected me. And in the, in the moment that we experienced that trauma going up, it seems to be kind of the worst case scenario for you because you're always comparing yourself to other children that you imagine 
don't get to go through that. Right. But then as I got older and I started venturing deeper into these spiritual themes, I realized in retrospect that a lot of those traumas and those tragic situations helped really build the fundamental building, like the building blocks of who I am as a person. And I'm so grateful to have experienced that. Oh yeah, me too. You know, did you go through a lot of that when you were growing up? Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Same kind of same story, you know, pretty much. I mean, I am one of five and my dad had multiple women pregnant at the same time. Multiple. (laughs) Multiple. So we're all pretty much the same age. Um, So, so let's just start there. And (laughs) my mom was 16, Mm -hmm. you know, so um, when you think about it like that, like my mom's only 16 years older than me. Yeah. I mean, which is so weird, yeah. but, um, but yeah. And you know, she's a, she's a drug, drug addict as well. And my dad was an alcoholic and, mm-hmm. you know, they were both young and yeah. just trying to, trying to figure it out. I mean, they were, my dad essentially raised my mom and, yeah. um, he didn't do a great job, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. So, like so they were really, really far apart in age. Um, no, no, they were actually pretty close in age. My dad's young too. Um, mm-hmm. but my mom was just so young that she was really looking for that kind of like father figure. And my dad's very much a man's man, you know, and um, very much a provider and a caretaker. Um, He's that guy and none of his wives have ever worked and he's had multiple wives. Um, He just, you know, he's that guy. So um, yeah, it's, uh, so he very much raised her. And um, unfortunately she missed out on a lot of, a lot of those growing pains that like we got to experience, you know, yeah. like being wild and going out and having fun, you know, whenever you have children at a young age, like all of that responsibility and that burden is on you. So yeah. there was definitely some resentment on her side because yeah. she felt like I ruined her life. Yeah. Um, even though, you know, I yeah. mean, I guess I had a choice. I guess I did choose to incarnate with them, but yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting, interesting about one thing that I, 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 realized getting older because when you're young you think of your parents as infallible beings Mm -hmm. you think that they all have all the answers to every problem same thing with like uh, people in higher authority positions like doctors and and nurses and things like that and as you get older you realize or at least me at 36 that everybody's just trying to do the best that they can exactly and really nobody has this shit figured out no you know and mm-hmm. there's comfort in that, but also a little bit of anxiety in that um, at the very beginning because you're like, well, we're sort of on this ship. There's people that are in these higher positions of power, especially people that have authority over your health, that are that that are doing the best that they can. But the comfort is in that we're all sort of on the same playing field, learning and growing together. But when I looked at my birth certificate one day, kind of put everything into perspective, uh, my parents were in their late 20s, early 30s when they had me. So now I'm at that level of emotional maturity mm-hmm. to understand perhaps maybe where their mind was when they were together. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and you're not in that realm when you're young to figure that out, but I've been in my share of relationships and so have you. So when you hear about the the conflict and, you know, the sort of divisive things that split your parents up, you think in your mind like, well, this could have been resolved with something as simple and practical as just a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes you wonder why yeah. they couldn't figure this stuff out, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's the million dollar question. I mean, therapists wouldn't have jobs if people were good at having conversations. I mean, that's really the the root cause of most problems is people just have a hard time communicating. Yeah, and it, and it makes me think of this word that we all actually use very often, which is responsibility. 
Yeah. Right. We say it so often. We have an idea of what it means, but when you break it apart, response ability. Mm-hmm. It is our ability to respond in any given moment to any sort of scenario. Mm-hmm. Everybody operates differently. So when our parents are responding or taking responsibility over themselves or even just children, mm-hmm. they're agreeing to having an ability to respond to whatever the moment happens to bring in that situation. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of trauma that we experience, especially growing up, because I think that's the, the sort of breeding ground for a lot of the guilt and the shame that we feel, comes from, you know, this, uh, mainly our, our, our parents and the conditioning that they had gone through growing up. Yeah. It's almost like this, this sort of, I guess they can call it a generational curse mm-hmm. that some families go through where if there is one parent that doesn't take responsibility for their lives, they not even just physically pass it over to their kin. Mm-hmm. There are all these different sort of intrinsic dynamics that you exchange even biologically with your kids. Yeah. It's through true. blood. Yeah, through blood, through sperm. Yeah, through blood, through sperm. <laughs> Which is pretty interesting. That's the whole epigenetic talk, right? And the whole epigenetic thought. And there's, you know, so we're compri- comprised of DNA. So right. epigenetics, all that is, is a as a change in your DNA structure. But it's not really necessarily a change. It's more like a chemical tag that's placed on the outside of the DNA. Um, It's like a methyl group tag um, and changes the way that your DNA is expressed. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of different studies. Um, uh, The Dutch study about um, the famine in, in, I think it was 1944. Mm -hmm. And uh, those kids that were born to mothers who were starving had higher risk of uh, obesity um, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, um, um, higher risk for diabetes, higher risk for schizophrenia, yeah. and had a 10% more likely chance of dying early compared to the groups before and after. Yeah. So, you know, we know that things happen in utero, right? And mm. um, we know that in utero stresses is real and that's a real thing but yeah. um it's interesting that it actually can change the dna for future generations mm-hmm. so that's not not really even the only example i think that um even uh, a better example is um there was another study that was done with mice so they exposed these mice to like a, a fruity smell and shock their foot yeah so whenever the mice would smell it and they got the shock they had uh, a conditioning that the, to be afraid to be yeah. startled by this smell right um, and um, so there was a control group and, and you know, the other rats that were exposed to the smell didn't mm. react to it. So as, um, uh, as the study went on, they went ahead and let these, these rats mate after they were conditioned and being startled by the smell. Mm-hmm. And their babies were, were born. So that ep- those epigenetic traits were passed through the male rat sperm into the babies and those yeah. babies had a startle reflex to that smell even though they had never been exposed to it before yeah. um and to take it a step further just to make sure that it wasn't environmental and it wasn't like maybe the parents you know um acting differently together um they did uh they did an in vitro of the same rat dna yeah. and then their babies also had that startle reflex to that smell yeah so um so it wasn't environmental it definitely is passed on it is genetic yeah. Yeah, and you think the spiritual underpinning behind that is almost like a karmic one. Yeah. 
You Absolutely. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There was this uh, study that I read about uh, from Mount Sinai, the Traumatic Stress Studies Division. They actually took 32 Holocaust survivors, mm-hmm. right? And they looked at their DNA chemistry and they all had this, this certain gene, which is actually FKBP5. Mm-hmm. And all of them had their families that were either Jewish or had gone to concentration camps that had experienced really tremendous amounts of trauma, all of them had this in common. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these children uh, were prone and predisposed to having anxiety and having sort of like these underlying conditions of post-traumatic stress without actually having Mm -hmm. even experienced anything like that. Right. You know, so it's like this transgenerational inheritance that affects you by your environment. But of course me... You know, I have large part of my bearings in Eastern spirituality. I think to myself, okay, well, I understand the biological piece of that. It makes total sense. But in my mind, I'm bridging all the time science with spirituality. There's this part of me that feels that if you do not take accountability for your own karma, which are your own sort of dense behaviors that you inherit here on this 3D dimension, you could pass it to your children. And we see that. In, in proof of, let's just say somebody is addicted to methamphetamines mm-hmm. you or, or heroin. Yeah. You see that all the time where you have this child that is born addicted to heroin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and uh, at least from my experience with my father, he had gone through really enormous amounts of trauma growing up. And it was as a result of how he was raised by his father. Right. So it gets, it gets passed down. And a large part of it seems kind of unconscious, right? The, yeah. It really takes somebody really going within and doing the work on themselves in order to identify where these triggers are, where that trauma is, and to somehow cut cords with that, Mm -hmm. like cut emotional cords with that. And it's not an easy process because uh, I think from my my perspective, a lot of people that go through this are so conditioned into that experience that they don't even realize how chaotic it is because once you go through a certain level of trauma for so long throughout the years, it stops being trauma to you. Yeah, you become desensitized to it. I'm that way with death, like from working in the hospital for so long Mm -hmm. and being around so much death. I never really had a fear of death or had um, that like response when someone died where I was just had this enormous amount of grief. Mm -hmm. And it's not because I didn't care. It's just you become desensitized to to those traumatic events. Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's very much a part of the journey. Our history, just even as a collective, we've gone through war, we've gone through famine, we've gone through slavery. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of these, you know, uh, things happen as a result of unconscious behavior going unchecked. Yeah. Right. And karma has to be processed um, somewhere. It's like at one point, do you stop being your parents and yeah. start being you? Because essentially, when I think about my lineage, and um, Alan Watts talks a lot about this too, which is like he has this sort of idea that like we were never born because we were our parents at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, like sifting through the ether of their physiological bodies and their spirits. And at what point do you become you and stop being them? Like we have our entire lineage and family history in our veins. Mm -hmm. Every war that my ancestor has ever fought is inside of me right now. Yeah. I mean, uh, not just from a DNA perspective, but, um, you know, emotional past life. Mm-hmm. So do you have any past life memories? Do you have any memories that have come through? I have. And that's another one of those things, right? Because dreams, I feel like are incorporated into that. Mm-hmm. I've had several past lives throughout my life, several dreams throughout my life that spoke to what I imagine to be a past life. 
I know that from seeing people that seem familiar to me in dreams that I've never seen before in real life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, even people that I've been in love with. You know, I've had dreams where I've, I've straight up just woken up crying because I had somehow had to separate from a partner that I was just so in love with in this realm, but never seen before in my life. Yeah. You know, and uh, I've also had dreams of, I think one of some of the most prominent dreams that I've had of are actually being like a warrior, yeah. having been in the war of some sort. Interesting. You know, and um, I've had situations where I've looked in the mirror, even in my dreams, because sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens where I, I've tried to cultivate like a stronger practice when it comes to lucid dreaming and astral projection throughout the years. And sometimes you accidentally come across these situations where, oh, you realize that you're in that space and you're like, okay, let me try and make sure that I'm here. And so you look in the mirror and you see yourself. And I remember looking in the mirror several times and seeing somebody completely different, but seems so familiar to me. Yeah. You know, you ever gone through that where it's like you look at yourself or you, you um, see yourself as something other than what you are right now? Yeah. Yeah. No, I've definitely had some lucid dreams where I was, I was someone else. Um, but mm -hmm. I didn't see myself in a mirror, but I knew I was someone else. Mm -hmm. I spoke a different language. Um, I was Indian a hundred percent. Indian. Yeah. Yeah. Like native American Indian. Mm -hmm. And I was a slave and I escaped as a slave and was being like shot at and chased oh, yeah. down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I remember jumping off of a train like it was, like it happened to me. You know, yeah. it was crazy. Yeah, and one one thing that I often hear, especially people in this community, is um, if you're in that community, just in general, you're pretty much agreeing to taking responsibility over a lot of your own shadow that happens in your life, mm -hmm. and then by default, because a lot of what happens in your life is driven by your family. We dive headfirst into this accelerated curriculum of wanting to heal ourselves. And then once we understand what it means to heal ourselves, we realize that we're healing our entire generation. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? That's so true. You're, you're healing those generations coming before you. Right. Yeah. I did, um, uh, one of our friends, she uh, had the Chiron Gong and it's a past life healer. So um, I used to listen to her play gong all the time mm -hmm. and I would definitely notice things come up and because um, they say that you'll parts of your body will hurt like whenever you're processing, you know, uh, processing, whatever, processing, yeah. whatever like the frequency is of the emotion from the gong. Right. Um, and I would get like stomach pains or headaches or, yeah. you know, whatever while I was listening to her play. But, you know, hopefully that helped. And, you know, I think it, Next to, you know, sound healing, uh, just setting in a, an intention to kind of stop the bleeding mm -hmm. is really important because your mind is so powerful. And as long as you're aware that like, hey, I have this gener generational trauma that I need to work through, um, setting that in intention to work on it is really all you need. Yeah. It's like the first thing I think to something like that is just acknowledging the fact that it's there. Yeah. It, it's crazy um, that human beings, we, we go through a lot of seeking and a lot of looking for what can potentially be the issue um, with without really directly looking into it once we find it. Mm -hmm. You know, at least from my experience, sometimes when you identify the trauma as being there, you, you kind of s approach it in a more systematic way where it's like, okay, well, I'll do a little bit of work and then I'll avoid the rest. And you try and pick and choose what it is that you want to see and what it is that you don't. And I think that radical recognition of your life um, is really what's required in something like that, which is like really, really accepting 
and having compassionate over the fact that you've gone through this trauma and this darkness and acknowledging it. Right. Yeah. You know, saying yes to it. Yeah. Because I think a lot of, uh, especially parents, for example, like when they know that their child is, uh, you know, going through some difficult emotion, maybe they're going through addiction. There's something that goes through the mind of a parent that's like, oh, I did something wrong. Yeah. This must be something that I had done. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like this, um, it, it's interesting that uh, a lot of the, the people in the community as far as light workers um, tend to be, you know, people that have experienced the most trauma than outside of any other sort of group that I've ever experienced before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think birds are, birds are the same feather flock together, you know? Yeah. You, you tend to, you tend to find your tribe and usually it's because you have something very deep seated in common. Yeah. But it's like a different, it's a different narrative, right? Cause when I first got into this whole thing, people talked about enlightenment. They just thought that it meant that you were just going to be super happy and just feel super amazing all the time. And that, you know, the skies are always going to be blue and you're not going to experience anything uncomfortable. And then you realize that a lot of the people that get into it are some of the most wounded people. Mm-hmm. And it becomes a different type of experience, a different type of story, a very, very good one. I think definitely a worthwhile one and a meaningful one. But, you know, it, it takes a really, a lot of strength in order to acknowledge like your own shadow, you know? Yeah. I mean, we all have the opportunity to become the narrative or to write a different one. Yeah. And, you know, li- life is all about choices. Right. And, you know, I, I, I realize that, it can be hard, especially when you're dealt uh, a tough hand to yeah. kind of crawl out of the hole, but um, you, you have to make that choice for yourself. Yeah. You know, yeah. I nobody think, can do that for you. Right. Nobody can do it for you. I think that this is what this planet really represents in, I guess, from the, the galactic sort of like the eternal perspective. This is uh, a, a planet that is driven by Kali energy. Kali basically being that you have that contrast and balance. Mm-hmm. right so it's not the easiest thing to move through and i think that's the reason why we're celebrated across the universe and i think barbara Marciniak talks about it a lot which is you know earth is not an easy place to incarnate in no you yeah. know and I'm, I'm not sure why we chose this place well we chose it for to, to learn <laughs> you know what i mean and and i'm kidding i'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> i wonder what other planet you would have chosen maybe venus uh no i don't know that's a good question yeah. Yeah, that's a good. Or question. like Mars. Mars probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably I want Mars. to see what's going on. <laughs> I want to see what what kind of shit we got going on underground on Mars. Underground. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some of those videos. Yeah. Well, not some videos, but like some of those articles where articles, people have gotten yeah. like uh, the rovers have t- taken photos of like things just running across the surface of Mars. Yeah. But there was also that article where the guy said that there was an alien base underground. Yeah. On Mars, right? That's what I heard. Yeah. That's what I heard. Yeah. So here, you know, Elon Musk is spending all his money and trying trying to get to Mars and we're already there. Right. Somebody should tell him. Somebody should, well, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like he's, I, I, I feel like he's um, sort of hanging under the radar right now. There's going to be a time, Jan. I think I, I, I know I had a real bee in my bonnet over this whole aliens <laughs> coming to, to Earth thing. Yeah. But I feel like the age of Aquarius, just like what Leanne or, or Gem Goddess spoke to, which is, Stuff that you would never imagine would happen. Yeah. Just completely out of the ordinary. Yeah. Will happen. Something we didn't even see coming. Yeah. 
And I feel like aliens are one of those things. Cause it makes me think like it, it, it's easy. It's easy to feel like the world that we live in as far as the United States, as far as America is, it is exactly how it is, but it's crazy how all of this can change in an instant with just the arrival of some being from the sky having to land on our ground. Mm-hmm. Your world can automatically uh, suddenly just go from this sort of, you know, divisive left, right sort of politics into all of a sudden the world is magical again. Yeah. You know, it's crazy how it's, it can be just one situation that can sort of reinvoke this feeling that there are infinite possibilities to how, which way this thing can go. And we could very well be living in an Alice in Wonderland sort of world and not even realize it. I, I feel like that. I feel like that that's highly possible that this is just like a hologram and we're, you know, living infinite lives at the same time. I think so. I believe in like that sort of fractal mm-hmm. um, thing that life seems to have. Yeah. You know, which is like you close your eyes at the end of the night and you find yourself in a dream. You're not even entirely sure how you got there, but you're in there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I think that's the interesting thing about dreams is that once you find yourself into a dream, there's no narrative of, okay, well, where were you born in the dream? Who are you in this dream? Where do you start? And where do you end in this dream? Mm-hmm. You just fucking wake up in the dream. Yeah. Like you're there. That's true. Right. And so I feel like the, the nature and life has this way of, you know, uh, relating different things and giving us sort of like a lot of these metaphorical meanings behind stuff. And in the same way that we have life and death and we have this idea of sleeping and waking up in a different dream, I feel like, you know, the, the process of dying and, and, and waking up to whatever it is on, that's on the other side is going to be something similar to just waking up, maybe yeah. not even being born, but just waking up as if somehow you were just taking a nap for a little bit. Yeah, I think it, I think it'll feel like that. You know, that'll just trigger something in our brain, and we'll all wake up at the same time and be like, "Holy shit! Whoa!" Yeah, like you'll wake up in your house. Yeah, and and you know your your partner or Jeremy will walk by, and you'll be like, "Whoa!" I just had a crazy dream. Yeah, and because there's no like linear sense of linear time in those dimensions, it'll just be like a blink of an eye. Yeah, in an instant. You know. I was watching this alien show on Netflix the other day and um, it was, you know, just basically one of those shows that had like all high ranking government officials talking about like, yes, there's aliens, you know, and their experiences and who was covering what up, that kind of thing. And um, lots of different um, space vehicles, right? There's the spaceships that look like Tic Tacs, the ones that are just like the regular silver disc with the little dome on top. Yeah. Um, one that's kind of shaped like a, um, like a manta ray. Yeah. I mean, just all the, the blue one that was in that article. Which recently. looked like a long, just strand. It, it strand looked like of a, light. Like, yeah. yeah. So I was wondering in space, and hear me out on this. In space. In space. <laughs> um, I was wondering if those are like... I mean, obviously they're alien vehicles, right? They're like the equivalent of our car. I wonder if there's like a hierarchy of space vehicles and they're like, oh, you're still flying that Tic Tac? That's some old shit, you know? Like if that's like a Pinto in alien times. I don't know. Maybe, but they seem to defy the gravity and just 
aeronautics altogether. Yeah. Because they know they all look so different. Like they don't all look the same. Right. There's no like, it's not like when you're driving down the street and all cars kind of have four wheels and they're aerodynamic and they kind of do a thing. It's like they design these without considering how aerodynamic it has to be because they don't even go by the laws of physics or the laws of like gravity. I wonder who's in charge of designing spaceships. That'd be a fucking cool job. I want that job. It's probably Elon Musk. Probably. You know? You know? Are there like Tesla spaceships out there that we don't know about yet? Probably. I bet Honda's going to have one too. Honda? Yeah. It's it's crazy. I, I don't, Actually, I know that we have the technology for flying cars and all this crazy shit. We just don't have the money. Yeah. And even if they did, like a hoverboard came out uh, a few years back and everybody was just like, you know, if you were a fan of Back to the Future, they're like, man, second to come out with a hoverboard, I'm going to fucking buy one. Yeah. But it's like, no (laughs) one's got the money to pay $1,100, $1,500 for a hoverboard. Yeah. You know? I mean, if it's just simply for the rich, yeah, that's one thing. But, you know, if you want to, have a back to the future scenario where you just see, you know, a freeway in the sky, you're going to have to dial it down a little bit yeah, and make yeah. it a little bit more affordable. Yeah. It's kind of like flat screen TVs when they first came out, like plasma TVs, everybody was like, Whoa, going That's away true. from the box TV. Yeah. And they were so expensive for $5,000 for a TV. Yeah. And now you can get one at Walmart for 200 bucks. Yeah. bucks, you know, like we've, and that really wasn't that long ago. I no, mean, that wasn't. was like 15, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. I found a straight up plasma flat screen on the street the other day. Yeah. People just fucking leave them outside now. You know, I'm just yeah. like, okay. I mean, I took it obviously. Obviously. You know, I ain't no punk bitch. <laughs> I had like a, I can put it to good use as a monitor, you know, but. It's it, better I, than it being in a landfill. Exactly. But you're right. I mean, hopefully things like hoverboards will become a little bit more practical. Yeah. People can kind of do that whole thing, you know, but you know, they're talking in the year 2021 to, you know, transfer more to, you know, fully energy, fully electric vehicles. Who knows? Yeah. And that's not going to be better for the environment because we just don't have a good way to generate electricity. I mean, other than solar, but most of our electricity comes from, from gas so yeah you know it's actually yeah worse for the environment than having gas cars yeah so. i don't know i don't know which one is is, is good as i actually watched this talk or i saw a clip of it i think it was bob lazar and joe rogan where they were where uh, they were talking about tesla's theory of free energy mm-hmm. and bob lazar was talking about and i'm not sure I you love know, Bob I don't Lazar. Know. He's that's a cool motherfucker. Yeah, right I saw that documentary about Bob that was Lazar so too. Good, right? It was really, really yeah. cool. And I do believe him. I do believe that I he's believe hung out too. with the alien, aliens for sure. But he was talking about like it, it wouldn't actually be a good thing if 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 uh, say Tesla's invention ended up coming to fruition because we rely really heavily on the internet, mm-hmm. right? We rely really heavily on um, you know, radio transmissions that are invisible in the air, mm-hmm. Wi Fi signals. And yeah. if we had electricity just flying through the sky in this sort of free energy grid, it would interfere with all of that. Everything, yeah. So we wouldn't, as, as far as what Bob Lazar is saying, we wouldn't have the internet. Yeah. We, we also probably wouldn't have, um, I guess, aerospace in the way that we have planes because a lot of you know, what we do is, is driven by sort of radio signals and things like that. And there's no going backward from the internet. I mean, yeah. now they, the internet is here and it is what it is. I mean, I remember using the computer 
in our school, we had one computer that had dial-up internet. Mm-hmm. And that was like, okay, guys, this is a computer. Mm-hmm. And you can find anything, any information in the world by just typing it in. And everybody's like, whoa, how does it do that? Mm-hmm. And now we have like little computers in our hands yeah. 24-7. Yeah, it's like what Elon Musk said. We are, we are symbiotes. Mm-hmm. You know, we are artificially intelligent symbiotes. And the fact that we have extensions of ourselves, which is our smartphone, no matter how many times you pick it up, it is a part of you. It has all of your information on it. Yeah. It has your life and pictures, yeah. your, your, you know, your communication through text, has access to your bank, everything. Everything. You know, so at this point, you really can't stop that ship. Nope. And I feel like probably within the five or 10 years, within five or 10 years, just like uh, with Elon Musk talked about in the interview with Joe Rogan, like we're, we're a lot of people are going to have that neural link. Oh, that's so crazy. That's so crazy you know? to me. I don't know if I can get on board for with that. I'm not, I'm not ready. Yeah. It's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing. Cause I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm along, I'm just going along for the ride. Yeah. I try not to overly attach myself to sort of material or worldly things. And I feel like there's a much larger force moderating our universe and our planet and it knows what it's doing mm-hmm. and whether or not it's, it's, I, I, I honestly can't say that that force is good or bad because it isn't. It's not any of those things. It's just sort of like a natural order and a natural cycle that happens. There is a, you know, we have the, our, our 12 month cycle, but the universe has an entirely different um, sort of realm of cycles. The Kali yeah. Yuga being the one that we're in, which is probably the most destructive Yuga, the Yuga basically being like a galactic year. And that is a year where humanity gets to kind of a low point. Mm-hmm. Because I think of the world that we are a part of, especially the planet, as being almost like a thought in the mind of God. And Emmanuel Swedenborg talks a lot about this. He actually likens the the planets to almost like the chakra system. Like we're a part of like this galactic sort of like large like human. Mm. I guess the best way I can describe it's an it interesting just because source isn't actually a human. Yeah. But in the same way that we were talking about fractals earlier, yeah, we have our bodies inside of our bodies is a universe, much like the universe that we see outside. It's just at the microbial level, right? In space. In, in, in space, <laughs> right? And, yeah. And I thought about, thought about this the other day. It's like when you eat something, when you consume something, when you smoke something, when you ingest anything that alters the balance of your body, there are all of these different chemicals and, and uh, you know, things that are going on inside of your body, your organs are processing food for you. You don't even have to do anything, right? Yeah. It's like you're, whatever you enter, enters into your, your, your body, it's like something's coming into their house and they mm-hmm. just automatically have this, you know, this instinctual drive to process anything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like our society is a perfect example of that in the fact that we work together. That's there's a certain harmony that takes place with us in nature and other people. And then once you expand, like your mind expands out to the universal level, then you have things like, you know, correspondence with aliens. But once you kind of broaden even bigger than that, I feel like the planets, even because astrology says this speaks to a large galactic sort of eternal, you know, like being. Yeah. That's an interesting theory. Like we could all be thoughts in the mind of God, just, you know, each individual thought, maybe we can be one of those little receptors, like one of those little neurons, neurons. that fire mm-hmm. in the mind of God by us just waxing poetic about these things. 
we happen to just be maybe on the the right side or the right brain side of God that wants to be more creative, wants to understand things a bit more. So we're like the messenger molecules that go in and try and sort things out by talking about it. And although we can't come to a conclusion because only source and God can come to that conclusion, at least we're assisting him in the process. For sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Interesting. That's an, so um, was this out of a book? Yeah. You could actually read about it in Emanuel Swedenborg's Heaven and Hell book. All right. I'm going to I'm gonna have to read that. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. And he, he likened um, the solar system to the chakra system, mm. you know? And he also likened uh, the seven days that it took God to create the universe mm -hmm. as all the seven chakras that we sort of have and embody in order to reach ultimate enlightenment. Very cool. You know? Yeah. All right. Isn't that some shit? That's some shit right there. Yeah. But I, I feel like this planet, just particularly because we were originally talking about generational trauma, this planet, once you get older, you realize that it's not just for fun. Although there is fun to be had. Um, There's a lot of fun to be had. I've had a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Had a lot of fun. Too much fun. I've overdosed on fun. Yeah. But you had to get to that point in your life in order to really truly appreciate what fun means, right? Oh, for sure. It's because my childhood wasn't fun and it was such a fucking hot mess. Yeah. That as an adult, when you have control over your own shit, mm -hmm. man, I was like, oh yeah all about the fun yeah. and I was so much all about the fun that I didn't really like settle down in life till I was almost 40. 40? Yeah. Really? In my late thirties before I really started to settle down. Wow. So there was a gen that I may not even ever see. No. That no. existed somewhere. Right. That gen that, Oh yeah. Man. You're a sassy a wild little miss. One. A sassy little miss is an understatement. I was a wild one. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. and that's the interesting thing too. And it, because I was as well. Yeah. You wouldn't think so. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. But I mean, it's not like- you're so I, like, like reserved and so cool. I've always been who I am. I think it was just uh, as far as like my venture into the shadow, it was more about not being good to myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I've never my been body wanting, was not a temple, I'll tell you that. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and I think that ties to a lot of the generational trauma sort of piece, because unless you are actively working on yourself, you're- you're going to go through all these different ways of self-medicating the pain. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By turning against it and acknowledging that it's not acknowledging that it's even there at all. Mm -hmm. That's you true. Know? And you think that it's somehow just going to resolve itself, but you know, there are things that I think about that I've forgotten from my childhood all the time I, that I that come up, you know here and there throughout my life as if somehow one day it's just going to go away. It's like, no, it'll stay with you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't go through it, you're going to pass it over to your kids. But the way that I think that it happens is that you embody a certain feeling, a certain energy, uh, maybe like some anxiety. So say I had some level, some baseline level of anxiety. Going back to kind of how I grew up, I did have panic disorder, which I was sort of prone to having panic attacks and anxiety. At the time, I didn't know what it was. What does that feel? I've never had a panic attack. What does that feel like? A panic attack, uh, the, the physiological part of it is that your body just fills up with adrenaline, fills up with cortisol. And so your flight or fight comes in. And even if you're not in a flight or fight situation, even if you're not in a flight or fight a situation, rush of those chemicals. you get a rush of those chemicals. And 
it, it, it's hard to explain, but you're not thinking rationally when those mm-hmm. chemicals move through your body. You are convinced that there's an issue somewhere, but when you're young, you're not aware that that issue is you. Yeah, you're not aware that you're the one that is creating the 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 this feeling that there's an external threat because mm-hmm. there's not like the primitive functions of the mind as far as the flight or fight work to serve you in lots of great situations, mm-hmm. but in the wild or even just being protected, like there are times when the flight or fight should should be operating correctly and efficiently, but we live in a society that is really largely generated or governed by our thoughts. And we deal with a different type of fear now, mm-hmm. which is emotional fear, which is us creating something to fear, right? Right. Which is always like, and the, the way fear happens as far as emotional fear is when we lose touch with the present moment and we get lost more in the past, which obviously isn't even here, and in a future that doesn't even exist. Yeah. And as long as we're you know, uh, reevaluating and looking at the mind essentially, which is this storehouse and this collection of thoughts and memories, um, then we're always going to be prone to having things like anxiety because we want to try and change something that tangibly can't be changed. So there's this separation between us and the reality of what's going on. So how did you get past that whenever you had a panic attack? Like, how did you get through it? What did you do? Well, in the beginning, I was very afraid of it. And I tried to deny the fact that it exists by running away from it. And I think that creates more fear, obviously, because you have a division between your heart and your mind. Yeah. Right? So then when you feel it coming on in the future, it's only, and you can't control it, right? Like, you can't stop it. Yeah. So the thing is with uh, the mind um, is when you resist, I mean, this doesn't even just have to go with my, my panic disorder. Anytime you resist anything, it just makes it worse. Yeah. You know, you have to acknowledge the fact that what you're feeling is true and real Mm -hmm. and be willing to accept that fact and feel into that. But also feeling into that means understanding why it is that you are going through that. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me in the beginning, I completely resisted it and I did for a long time, but didn't even realize or understand why I continuously kept having it having these bouts of anxiety Mm -hmm. until one day I just, you know, just got really, really tired. And I started reading a lot of like Jiddu Krishnamurti and uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. And they speak to a lot of these things. I'd gone through in and out of therapy throughout my life in the very beginning. And um, there were a series of spiritual awakenings, at least from my perspective that I went through that helped to kind of get the, get the gears going as far as, um, practicing more awareness of those things Mm -hmm. and realizing that I'm not those thoughts, that I'm not those feelings that my mind is producing in these chaotic moments, but I am the witness. I am the awareness that sees that. But it's hard to come to that conclusion because you can't place yourself in the field of awareness unless you intrinsically know that there's something other than thought inside of you, which is the spirit. So you have to like really understand and really feel that you are an eternal being in order to even be able to see the chaos that your mind is trying to produce. Mm, okay. And that is something that a lot of people have trouble with. Yeah. Because a lot of people that's are That's a really abstract concept. Yeah. I mean, and that's a really hard, hard conclusion to come to, especially on your own. Yeah. Because a lot of people think automatically there's a spiritual side of it that has something to do with Christianity. Yeah. But it, it, it's not. Like when you are born into the world- you don't have a name. Nobody, 
you, you weren't born with a name. Somebody gave you that name. Mm-hmm. You weren't born with the conditioning that you have. Somebody taught you that, right? And there's this sort of other kind of school of thought, which means that, well, if somebody's not teaching you, then you're just going to be some, you know, crazy animalistic type of person. And that's definitely not true. Mm-hmm. Um, human beings, I think, at the very core are loving. And the very essence of who they are is loving. And if you give yourself the ability, it means, I guess, on a more practical level, if you raise children, allow them to be who they are, which is supporting them, supporting them lovingly with anything that they happen to be interested in. And you'd be surprised at how loving of a, a person that you could actually raise. But the reason why I bring this up is that our large part of our conditioning is what creates this idea that we are our mind because the mind is where the conditioning comes from, like your identity, your personality, everything that you believe that you are comes purely from your mind. Right. And that can be changed in an instant. One thing I find it really interesting is like when somebody pisses us off, if we have a situation with another person or we believe something so intensely that we swear that we'll never change our mind and then somebody can come in an instant, right? And, And completely shock us out of that belief and we can change our mind just so quickly. We change our minds so quickly. And because we change our minds so quickly and because our emotions move and are influenced so quickly, it makes me it makes me really, really feel as though that sort of ego that we rely on and fall back on really doesn't exist. Because if you were, you know, something you know, relative to an eternal spirit. There, there isn't sort of like this waxing and waning. Like, you know, behind a shadow of a doubt, the truth of who you are without intellectually needing to understand it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And this is a very, a very basic example. But, I, and I don't know why I even thought of this, but it's it's the same with taste. Like, as, fa- as quick as we change our mind, um, we'll also change our sense of taste. And when I was a little kid, I hated onions. I mean, fucking hate onions. And my mom would chop them up really little and things and put them in there and I would taste them. And then I'd be digging them out, these little (laughs) tiny slivers of onions. And um, the smell of them, just everything about it, I loathed. And now as an adult, I will eat grilled onions by themselves, just pick them up off the grill and, you know, eat away. And yeah. it's like, man, I can't believe that I could change my mind on onions. I never in a million years would have thought that I would like onions and order shit and put onions on it as yeah. an adult. We're so sure that we are going to be who we are for yep. the rest of our lives, not mm-hmm. even realizing that we've been changing over the last 36 plus years. Yeah. And when I think back of who I was when I was a kid, I can't even relate to that person. Yeah. It's oh crazy God. to Who think. It's crazy to think that no we idea. were once that child mm-hmm. that somehow lived 36 years into the future and this is who I am now. Yeah. And I don't relate that child as being me. No. Because literally thousands and hundreds of cells inside of your body are dying every second of every single day. Mm-hmm. Right? And nature has this way of showing us like our eternal beingness and just the very fact that we go to sleep and wake up in the morning because in the, in the morning, nature is so compassionate that it gives you the opportunity to start fresh, to start new. And I'm not talking just rested in your body. I'm talking about like renewed in your spirit. 
Mm-hmm. And it is us that dream ourselves back into existence in the morning. That's, that is all choice. That isn't intrinsically yeah. who you are. You make the decision in your mind when you wake up to remember who you are yeah. as far as what your ego wants you to be. But if you find yourself into these extended periods of maybe meditation or silent retreat, you'll realize that that you that you believe you are really doesn't exist. It's crazy to think that people, unless... Uh, it's crazy to think that some people believe that without their mind, they can't exist, right? But who are you when you're not thinking about who you are? Like, you're just here in this moment. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying like to, to I, I'm not saying to not use your mind because obviously you need to, to do it in order to do practical things. But this overuse of the mind, you know, I don't know if I've talked about this story before where Alan Watts actually talked about an organ that works properly. You don't notice that it, it works. Mm-hmm. Like an organ that is, is functioning in a healthy, cohesive way, you don't, you don't notice it. Like you don't notice your digestion sorting through your food. You don't really until, notice. Until you eat a funky piece of pizza right. or <laughs> exactly. then you notice something's wrong. <laughs> right, right. And then you notice something wrong. You don't notice uh, your, your, your lungs breathing the air. I mean, you do if you pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. But... That is a compassionate act from the universe because the reason why you don't notice it is because you're healthy, yeah. right? But the second you get sick, the second you get an upper respiratory infection, it's all you can feel here in the chest. Yeah. And there's this, every part of you is like, I don't want to feel this. This doesn't feel very good. Mm-hmm. So all of your attention is drawn to this space, right? Mm-hmm. The mind is the same way. If your mind is working properly, you don't notice that it's working. But when your mind isn't, working the correct way when your mind is sick in the same way that you have an upper respiratory infection mm-hmm. all you he- all you hear are thoughts right it's like your mind has this way of um, bodies have this way of showing us when we're overusing something mm-hmm. so if all you're doing is thinking thoughts all the time that is your mind's way of saying like hey you need to calm the fuck down yeah because our minds are not designed to just be maxing out on thoughts all the time yeah that's it and that's one of the whole points of meditation right is not necessarily the, the absent, the absence of thought, but just slowing the thoughts down. Like slow it down and try to sit in silence and try not to have thoughts, because you there's so so much that you miss in the noise. Yeah, and you could even go a bit further, which is you acknowledge at some point that the even that the even the trying of not having thoughts just creates more of more, the same thing. More thoughts, yeah. So the best thing that you can do is just sort of. You know what I mean? It's like you can't talk about it. <laughs> right. Because the second you try and intellectualize or create a process out of silence, it becomes more yeah. of the ego trying to create a process out of something that doesn't mm-hmm. have a process. Yep. Yeah. So, so what do you what do you end up with? You end up you end up with a podcast where nobody's talking. <laughs> right? I think it's it's boring. I think it's 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 com- completely healthy to be able to have a comfortable exchange with somebody. What I'm actually speaking to are people that wake up in the morning and they go through just devout levels of anxiety because they can't quiet their minds. Yeah, those are the people that I'm talking about that need that type of relief. Yeah, people that have gone through post-traumatic stress as a result of trauma they've gone through growing up that somehow can't shake it because they think by, you know always dwelling in the past, thinking that they can change the situation that's already happened, they think that that somehow is going to provide salvation to them, but it's not. Yeah. Williamson has this quote that says, the best way to heal the past is by living fully in the present. The reason why is because the present is the only place that we have the ability to change anything. That's right. 
you know. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like. So what are tips? What are some tips to help people with uh, panic disorders and anxiety and generational trauma, like outside of outside of things that we've already talked about, right? We've already talked about like sound healing. We've talked about um, therapy, um, uh, meditation. What else? I think what I'll say to people first is that if you were doing the, you're actively doing the work to find, to wanting to find out more about your lineage and where that trauma comes from, then you are, I would essentially call them light workers Mm -hmm. because it isn't an easy task to undertake. Right. Because what you're doing is you're not only healing yourself, you're you're healing your entire fucking family. Yeah. And your family will feel that just in seeing who you become as a result of that work. Mm -hmm. You'll radiate like this, this enormous amounts of love in your interaction with people in your family. And love is contagious. Love is contagious. Once, You're right. Once people pick up on this beautiful aspect in you, in the beginning, it, it's not going to be easy because there are people that are so deep in their patterns. Yeah, it changes, changes hard, especially when it comes to everyday life and, and patterns. I mean, shit, I can't, I can't even stay on a, on a, what is it, the dry January for longer than four days. <laughs> dry like, January? Oh, yeah, dry January. Is yeah. Like, where you give up alcohol for and everything fun for a month. Yeah, I mean... That, After the it, holidays, you know. Yeah. Have a little, give your liver, liver like, a break. Yeah, everybody's experienced that period that that when you decide to, to go into, especially New Age spirituality or just meditation, you always have those family members that are just jealous of the fact that you seem so happy. Yes. And they'll try and... Isn't that funny? Yeah, they'll just try and funny. kick you down a few notches. Yeah. You know, and, and there are some people that, you know, they, they aren't as aware and they kind of succumb to that energy. And they're like, you know, yeah, maybe I am just destined to be just like these people. But you have to push through that. Yeah. You have to realize that that is their karma, that mm-hmm. they are just dealing with their own, you know, 3D sort of dense emotions. And it just doesn't really have nothing to do with you. Yeah. You know? And you know what's helped me too? Because um, there's, there's been times where, you know, I feel like I'm sliding back. And I'm like sliding back into old habits and old patterns and old way of thinking. And I'm like, shit, I've done all this work. And like, now I'm sliding backwards. Um, is just to ask your, ask your guides for help, you yeah. know, and just through meditation, set an intention and say like, Hey, I can feel myself slipping back. Like help me. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're, and we've had this conversation before, like your angels can't help you unless you ask for it. Yeah. So you have to ask. You got to ask for help. Mm-hmm. You got to ask for help. But yes, if you if you decide to take on this work, congratulations, because it isn't an easy task. And so the, I guess the tips that I have for some people is to ask you by, start by inquiring. In, in Hinduism, they talk a lot about the inquiry. Mm-hmm. And for Sri Ramana Maharshi, it's something as s- subtle as just asking, who am I? Yeah. Right? But you have to pay really, really close attention because you're asking yourself a question and you only want to make sure that the most, the purest, most authentic part of you is answering. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a trick question. And this is kind of what Eastern sages do is they set you up to, for, they set you up to place yourself in this position of knowing how often the ego comes and sabotages your, your, your truth and your freedom. So yeah. if you ask yourself, who am I? And there's a voice inside of you that answers, that's not it. Yeah. That's not it. Because only the ego asks questions. Mm-hmm. That's the trick question, right? Yeah. You are 
that because you exist. That's enough. People are like going around trying to find the meaning in things by asking questions. And there is truth in that. Like there is truth to going and picking up a book and reading words. But if you really want to get down to the core of who you are, ask yourself, like, who am I? And see what type of answer that you get. Yeah. And if you get a very specific type of answer, that's like, oh, I'm Eric. This is what I do. This is how old I am. That's not it. That's ego. Yeah. And then Byron Katie also has this other question, which really helped me out in my journey, especially when I was younger. She says, who are you without your story? Yeah. You know, who are you without? That's a good quote. Yeah. Who are you without all of your conditioning? All your bullshit. You know, it's kind of like in therapy, you know, you go to a therapist and all they're doing is having you talk and they don't tell you like, Hey, you know what your problem is? Your problem is, is that your parents fucked you up and you didn't get over your ex and ex. No, they just lead you to figuring that stuff out on your own. And that's what all spirituality is. It's just guiding you down the path for you to come to those realizations on your own. Exactly. And do the work yourself. Yeah. When you sit there's ex- no answer. There's, there's no magic pill. There's no. Yeah. It's like, you are the answer. You are the answer. Somehow that's not enough for people. Like when Ram Das sat with Maharaji Ji and Ram Das is one, I guess one of the most eloquent speakers when it comes to that relationship between sages mm-hmm. is that it's not that like they teach you anything really profound. All they do is show you how ridiculous you're being mm-hmm. with your questions. Yeah. Right. And in, in one movie that I remember growing up was The Karate Kid, right? When yeah. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi has Ralph Macho doing all this crazy shit, like washing his car, like painting the fence. Mm-hmm. And Ralph Macho was like, how does this have anything to do with karate? Mm-hmm. And he didn't know it right away. Right. Yeah. But all the movements that he was going through were training him on on doing it indirectly. But the whole point, I think, behind what I'm trying to say between that relationship and the relationship between Ram Das and Maharajiji is that there's a certain level of service, mm-hmm. compassionate service to another human being that awakens that sort of dormant force in you mm-hmm. that makes you realize that like, you are it. Like that, that beingness inside of you is there and you have to get to a point where you quiet down enough in order for you to hear it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. So all like a great sage's responsibility is to just show you how ridiculous you're being by the questions that you're answering, you're asking, mm-hmm. and to just illuminate the obvious to you. Right. You know? Well, we, we got into some pretty deep shit tonight. I think so, but we always just scratch the surface, Jen. Yeah. We always just scratch the surface. What are some tips that you have? Because you, you'd gone through some trauma growing up too. Yeah. I mean, it took me a long time. I, therapy was huge for me. Um, so, and I didn't start therapy until I was an adult. And a, a lot of those patterns and behaviors were already baked and I had already made, you know, decisions that were going to impact my life you know, as, as an adult, probably forever, Mm. you know? So I I think early therapy is the way to go. Um, and I didn't really have anything to believe in before. Like I wasn't raised in a religious household and, you know, I had some really bad experiences with religion when I was young. Mm. Um, just being exposed to it and, uh, through friends and, you know, other family members and what have you. So, um, yeah, having something to believe in, you know, no matter what that is, if it's 
new age spirituality, if you ascribe to a certain religion, you know, just having some sort of like hierarchy or belief system. And I just, I just had nothing. So, um, so I think that those were two major things that really changed as an, as an adult for me. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, kind of like opening the door of meditation. Meditation was extremely helpful, um, Mm -hmm. and getting over some anxieties and some fears. Like I had a lot of, uh, fear-based actions and, and a lot of the decisions I've made in my career and in my life have been strictly out of fear, Mm -hmm. you know? So, um, and I'm still trying to undo that stuff. So, Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, meditation for sure and you know of course i i'm i'm big into sound healing and all those things as well yeah and that's really good advice yeah that's really good advice i think the one thing that me and you do share is that we've entered into this work to heal ourselves but i think we're also um doing a lot of good for our families too yeah you know like there's just there's and and this has opened a lot of conversations. I mean, even this podcast has opened a lot of conversations. I mean, I have a, a very Catholic family. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I had a discussion with my aunt the other day who is, you know, a very devout Catholic yeah. um, about the Catholic Church and suicides and, you know, why the Catholic Church has these beliefs. And um, it was really, really interesting. And I was able to connect with her on a way that... Um, I never connected with her before. Yeah. And also to hear that, you know, she's like, oh, well, you know, um, it just depends on the church because, you know, some churches are more progressive than others and, you know, it depends on the priest and X, yeah. Y, and Z. So I was yeah. like, hmm, interesting. That's the one thing that I love about just just love in general is that when you embody love, you it, basically you're embodying this sense of just understanding who you are, being secure with who you are, being confident, with who you are. Mm-hmm. And you, if you get to that point, then it won't be a question of having to impose your beliefs on other people. Right. People will just see that yeah. you're radiating this quality mm-hmm. and people can't deny that. And I think that's what people need to do that are going through family trauma. Just work on yourself, work on loving yourself, working on what that means and go through those practices and people around you in your space will start to learn from that yeah. and you'll teach them indirectly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're absolutely right. Yeah. We'll have to, it's like, just like we talked about earlier, we always scratch the surface. We can always go deeper. <laughs> and in 2021, this is a super serious, this is one of our more serious podcasts, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it'll just keep getting more serious, Jen. We're going to, we're going to, it reminds me of this quote by Rumi that says, you have to keep breaking your heart until it opens. Yeah. And that's what we're going to keep doing. We're going to keep <laughs> breaking hearts. Until, hopefully not. Hopefully we're not breaking hearts, but you know, because you know, it, it may, in the beginning it seems like an unfortunate thing, but once you break the heart, there could be something much more beautiful hidden underneath there. That's true. Something that can't be broken, maybe. Maybe. Something that. Maybe an alien. Maybe maybe know. an alien. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. This is our first episode of 2021. We wish everybody a happy new year. Hope you're getting down with those New Year's resolutions. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Namaste, friends. Namaste.